Hi, this is Ryan Fraser. This is Troy Daly. This is Gus Boyet. This is Don Hutchison. This is Jürgen Klopp, and you're listening to The Big Interview with Graham Hunter. Thank you, Jürgen. I travel to all these interviews from Barcelona, and our socios, our beloved members, keep us on the road. This independent podcast wouldn't happen without them. Please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to join us, to become a socio, and to get every interview we produce without adverts and before it goes out on the main feed, plus lots of bonus content, including the chance to put questions to our guests and to me via the monthly Q&A. So do please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter and join the club and get your family and friends to do so. Maybe even strangers in the street. Love you. Unlike you, I am Graham Hunter. This is The Big Interview. And for this episode in our long-running series, our guest is Budwein Senden. Bolo, do you know why he's called Bolo? You don't. You will soon. Bolo was a star for the great Dutch team that went to the semi-finals of successive tournaments, the World Cup in 98 and the Euros in 2000. He was a star for PSV and Barcelona and you watched him in the Premier League for Chelsea, Middlesbrough. <laughs> Middlesbrough fans, how much do you love Bolo Zenden, Liverpool and Sunderland. In this first section of the interview with Bolo Zenden, we explore the other side of his sporting persona. He's a black belt judoka. Has been since he was 14. I wondered, how did the concepts of judo, how did the disciplines of judo blend into his footballing career and his mentality? His answer's good. One of my favourite things about these interviews is the opportunity to ask world-class footballers to break down the specifics of their position and how they interpreted it. Our guest today, this smart, articulate, storytelling Dutchman, does it brilliantly, I think. You, you judge for yourself. But it's worthwhile, I'll listen. I promise you. So, here comes Budavine Zenden with the ball at his feet, black belt wrapped around his waist, poised to take on his right back. So, keep your eye on the ball. Big interview, listeners. We have a, a treat today. Six years we've been going... Nearly 24 million listens, some sensational guests. And today we have another one because this is a man who lit up um, football pitches with um, ingenuity and wit and pace and skill and is bringing those elements now to a coaching career at PSV Eindhoven. His name is Budavine Zenden, also known as Bolo. Budavine, welcome first of all to the beginning of you and thank you. Thank you for having me. We are only a couple of weeks past um, being in Svola with Yap's time when we found out that Yap's first name is not Yap whatsoever. And I've never known, and I'm sorry to ask you something you've been asked a dozen times before, but where does Bolo come from, please? It's a quick story short. My brother was into uh, skateboarding, and they gave each other nicknames. As soon as I crossed the border, Baudouin is a very difficult name to pronounce. So when we were on holidays... My brother said, why don't you call yourself differently, like as in Bolo? So I did, but then I came back to PSV 
And there was a certain player called Ronaldo who picked up the story and uh, from then on called me Bolo. So when, um, when I first entered uh, the dressing room with PSV, uh, from the youth academy up to the professionals, um, I started calling myself Bolo more as a nickname. But um, as I said, it stuck to me. And as soon as I crossed the border um, to play, for example, in Barcelona, I didn't even bother explaining my name. So it was Bolo. And it stayed all the way through my career. So there's a lot of people that actually only know me as Bolo and not even by my real name. Let's pay respect to your Judoka parents and then complete the circle by saying, what does Budavain mean, come from? It's a kind of beautiful name, and if uh, names that are difficult to pronounce shouldn't be forgotten altogether. No, it's difficult to pronounce. And um, uh, back in the days, you had king, the king of Belgium was called Baudouin. And then in French, it would probably be Boudouin. And in what? Italian, it would probably be Balduino. So the, 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 the proper Dutch pronunciation is rather difficult. So as soon as you cross the borders, there's a different ways to pronounce it, or at least... Um, for me, if your name is Baudouin, then Balduino is not exactly the same. Boudouin is nothing like Baudouin. So then, uh, especially on the pitch, Bolo works much better, much quicker. You're sitting there uh, with two stars on your uh, on your training kit because PSV or PSV, I suppose it is in, in Dutch, I'm guessing, won the Europa League in the 70s, I think, but won the European Cup as well. You're talking to a man who loves the only club in Scotland with two stars, two UEFA stars, and it's neither of the ugly sisters. It's Aberdeen, um, who have many beautiful Dutch footballers, principally Teo Snelders and Teo Cat playing for us. When you come to um, a two-star uh, club, as you did as a real youngster, and okay, you move into a squad where Ronaldo is a star, but there are hard-nosed, successful, demanding footballers around you Vouchers would be an example. Um, when you come as a kid to PSV Eindhoven, what are the values that they tried to teach you? What was the experience, even before trying to force Hoogstra out of a place to be the wide man in that team? What's Eindhoven like? Well, well, uh, to be honest, Eindhoven itself, uh, as, as a PSV as a, as a club, is, uh, I think, uh, um, a warm club, uh, a club which is a bit gives you the family feeling. You do have to perform, but that's not the only thing. You know, they, they, they do take care of you. At times then, for that reason, it's not very business-like, but still you have to perform. But it's a, it's a bit of a cozy club where, for example, they try to organize stuff for the family. They try to take care of you, not just yourself, but also the family. It's, um, let's say they, they, they try to organize a get-together for the wives. You know, it's like... They try to integrate everybody, and over the years, PSV has also always had a relationship with South Americans, and I think the South Americans in general are warm people, so they, they, they do well when they come to Eindhoven, because uh, we try to offer them that, that, that warm feeling. But when I was a 17-year-old and I came first to, into the dressing room, it wasn't easy, of course, because being a youngster, you have to earn your stripes, uh, not the stars, but the stripes. Um, and uh, it was a transitional period where the the club needed to get, I don't want to say get rid of, but they needed to clean up the dressing room a bit with the, 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 the more experienced uh, players. 
and freshen it up from the bottom with some youngsters. And that always brings a bit of friction within the squad. So I remember when first I, I joined, it wasn't that easy. But then I guess if you bring something to the table, then you're more likely to be accepted. Growing up in Maastricht, how conscious were you of uh, the European final in, in 1988? And some of our listeners will know it intimately because we have really football fanatics following us and listening to us, and some won't because we have younger uh, listeners. But Van Broekelen, Geretz, Nielsen, Koeman, Heinze, Soren Lerby, Van Arle, Gerard Vanenberg, Linskens, Wim Kieft, Aberdeen legend Hans Hillhaus, coached by Hiddink, beating Benfica. Were you old enough to have been aware of that European final and what it meant for Dutch football? Yeah, I think I was about 11, 11 years old. So I, I, did, I, I, I was into the football, of course, and I was into PSV as well. I already had a bit of a fling with PSV at the time. I joined PSV when I was 13, actually. But when I was about 11, I started joining PSV on... For example, an international tournament or uh, I was invited to play a game with them, a friendly. Um, so I was already, let, let's say at that time I was already a little bit on the radar. What also happened in that year, uh, the, 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 the 88, obviously the Dutch also won the European uh, Championship uh, in, in Germany against uh, Russia. USSR, yeah, after quite an interesting semi-final against the old enemies, Germany. Yes, of course. So I was I was aware of everything that happened there. I know the 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 actual path or the track that you have to uh, make uh, to get to the final is slightly different than these these days. Um, it's it's funny to see that, for example, also now we're actually at the moment in a phase of the season where uh, with PSV we still play for three trophies, and we've already had forty eight games. And there's still a possible 13 to play, minimum 10, and could be 13. So it's it's yeah, it's totally different than back in in the 80s when uh, a tournament like that was a little bit uh, shorter than nowadays. You you came into a squad and you won't you won't find it difficult to anticipate. We're coming back to Ronaldo Nazario who the film company I work with, we're, we produced a television series called El Presidente, following his rule at Valladolid, and we're a third of the way through a feature film with him, where his partners, um, our company is called Zoom, he's been so generous to us, and we're making a film with Ronaldo about the years 97, 98, through the disastrous knee injuries, to, to winning the World Cup in Japan. The first third of it is done, and he's a marvellous man. But putting Ronaldo to one side for a second, when you're coming through into into the team and breaking in, did I did I call it correctly that Hookster was one of the players you had to displace? Um, who helped you? Who was the cynical guy between uh, Mitchell van der Gag, Vatteraus, Stanley Valtz, famous Newman, Meyer, and and what kind of coach was Keith Ravers? To be honest, uh, Peter Hoekstra was uh, not not a, not a cynical one because he was actually, I think, three years older than me and he was waiting to make the step into uh, the first team as a regular starter. But then this younger kid came along and was aiming for the same position. Um, that so, so that was slightly different. To be honest, there was a moment where Ajax uh, had a problem where Mark Overmars got injured. 
and they needed a left winger. And they actually came to PSV to try and see if they could uh, get me to move to, to Amsterdam. Um, but the club wasn't willing to. And in the end, Peter Hoekstra left for Amsterdam. And I stayed. So you could, you, you could see it both ways. Either PSV was probably more convinced. And then in the other end, they could still sell one of the other uh, talents to, um, to Ajax. Uh, which wasn't obviously not a normal situation. Uh, to, to, to buy a talent from one team to the other, especially PSV and Ajax or either Feyenoord. So, yeah, I, I, I well, I, I, I don't say I burst onto the scene, but I did well in the youth leagues and um, I, I was always scoring goals and then I came to the first team and I had to uh, earn, my, earn my way into the team because uh, in my first year, Ademos was the manager. He, he actually um, took me from the youth into the first team. Uh, then after a few months, he got uh, relieved of his duties. And then all of a sudden we had Case Rivers, who was only there for a short term, let, uh, maybe six weeks, eight weeks maximum, uh, because Dick Advocat was coming in January. And uh, I think the Moss was left somewhere in November, maybe. So they had to fill the gap up until um, uh, Dick Advocat came along. And um, Case Rivers was definitely an... Um, uh, a gentleman, um, someone from, I would call him at times maybe more a teacher type, uh, someone who really was there to help you and, and move. You, you, you smiled when you said his name. You, 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 you smiled in both. Of course, because, because for me, he was maybe even like a granddad, you know what I mean? I was so young and he was already at a certain age and uh, it was just impossible to be angry at this man or whatever he was so calm uh, I don't want to make the comparison because I think it's not right but as a maybe as a as a human if I have to make a, um, a comparison on a human basis maybe uh, Bobby Robson had a bit similar like I understand what you mean I understand yeah he, he, he generates naturally generates warmth and affection even if he's tough and and professional, there's an extra warmth around the person. Yeah. Strip away the ego and explain to our, our listeners, what did young Bolo send him bring to the challenge to, to be a first-teamer, particularly under advocate at PSV? And within that, I want to understand how much not judo helped you, but also the, the judo philosophy, rather than the individual things, particularly... Almost all martial arts have a, have a belief, have a teaching, have a philosophy that's far beyond what you do on the mat. And most of them are very one-on-one. -on -one. And I'm intrigued as to whether you think I'm talking rubbish or whether there's some fact in the one-on-one -on -one nature of... You, you didn't stay an out-and-out -out winger all your life, but being a, a wide left man is really what you're famous for. What did you bring to it and how did judo help you? Well, first of all, I think judo is a very complete sport and I think it's a, a sport that uh, all the kids should do as a, as, as a way of development. Uh, I, uh, I would suggest from the age of four up until 12, that's already a very big range where you could uh, train your, um, your physique and your, um, uh, we say, motorique. Your motor skills. But I did it up until 16, 17. I got my black belt first then. Uh, I did competitions. Besides all those things, you're, you're, you're entirely right to say that it's an individual sport. So if you lose, <laughs> I mean, you're the one to blame. 
Um, but also if you go on the tatami, which is where you compete, uh, you cannot hide. I mean, it's just you. So you have to do it. Uh, you can't go, you can't step away from the the one-on-one, the, the fight, the, the duel. And in the end, that's exactly the same when I entered the pitch as a winger. I, I was in a battle with my fullback and I wanted to beat him and I wanted to uh, lure him into a position where I could take profit from. But it also learned you to stay calm and don't uh, don't react in a... Um, in an aggressive way or let's say always react with your mind and not just with emotions yeah emotions put them aside and 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 then make the right decisions so that uh, that definitely helped me uh, besides all other stuff that that um that helps when you learn for example how to fall or break your fall because sometimes people do get injured when they land uh, inappropriate uh, sometimes i still see it uh, when uh, when a player gets tackled and he falls in a strange way. Uh, someone who's done judo would, wouldn't fall that way. So I had a lot of profit from it. And um, it's definitely a sport that I would suggest for kids. Not just football, but any kind of sports that you want to do. Uh, it would be a good combination to do judo uh, alongside it for a certain amount of time. Before the rest of this big interview... I'd like to tell you that our entire archive of audio and video content is now on our new YouTube channel. We've begun filming all of our interviews, and there are already loads of clips with guests, including Rio Ferdinand, Connor Cody, Brendan Rogers, and Jamie Carragher, plus full interviews for you to watch and to share. Please do share with friends. Go to YouTube and search Graham Hunter or click on the link in the show notes to this episode and become a subscriber. I honestly think you'll enjoy it. Thanks. Does it frustrate you as well as seeing, like, say, a player fall awkwardly? The variety of things that could be, if not conquered, changed in a modern footballer. Had they had the discipline of not just judo, but martial arts across the board tend to teach philosophy, calm, restraint. You're trying to do something quite physical and it's often one-on-one, but there is definitely a, a teaching, an idea and I, I'd argue that probably affects behaviour in lots of different ways rather than just the one-on-one of the football pitch. Does that frustrate you now, particularly as a coach? No, I think it also gives you... Um, there's a certain respect in judo. So the respect for the um, a teacher, of course, but also the respect for um, the levels of skills because you have your, your, your belt, you know, and you start with yeah, the white, yeah. the yellow, the orange, and so on. So it teaches you a lot of things as in respect for uh, for yourself, for the opponent and, and, and for maybe people in general. But nowadays, yeah, football is different. Uh, society is different. Um, I remember when I came on to the scene and I was in the dressing room with Hans from Brooklyn, I shook his hand and I called him Sir and uh, Mr. 
And he said, uh, you know, what are you doing? I said, well, yeah, it's still Mr. Van Brooklyn, <laughs> you know? And, and he's actually in the board now here. He's one of your directors, right? Still to this day, right? Yeah. Yeah, I still say this. And he says, yeah, you never change. I said, yeah, why should I? Why should I? But yeah, now the kids, they come onto the scene and they think they're all chippy chappies and they've made it. And it's also society where there's a lot of me, 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 myself and I, you know, it's all socials is about me. It's not about anybody. It's It's... Of course, I was a product, but I was, in the end, um, you know, you were part of a team and you were part of a squad and you were one of many. But now, a lot of times, it's the individual within a team. So it's 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 a totally different era than when I played. And I don't say it's uh, wrong. I don't say it's right. I only say it's different. And as a manager, I think you have to deal much more with individuals nowadays and with the group and 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 of course we also facilitate that you know so so we we train players individually we 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 take them apart where we work only with the strikers only with defenders uh, we give them everything is personalized their the from from their weight training to their food you know so it's really everything is personalized uh, i'm sure that when you bought your first car you could choose out of two colors that was it now you can choose whatever i mean society society is about choices um so that's the same now our, our lovely sponsors have been with us for a long time and bet365 sent us this question asking us to ask you to describe your art by which let's separate the times when you played centrally and talk about bolozen and the winger and the idea of something you touched on, that, that you called him, I loved it, my fullback. When you thought about, how, when I have the ball at my feet and I'm against my right back, how much distance did you want to have between you before you dropped a shoulder or sold him an idea that was false? Or what did you want to see in his balance, your balance? Take us into that little corridor of me v you. There's a, a lot of corridors in there. In general, I, I of course I, I played I played um, especially in the beginning only as a left left winger. Uh, nowadays, of, even after that, I, I played in so many different positions. I was very versatile, which was a big advantage at times. And sometimes I think mm, maybe it's not an advantage because sometimes you're better, the best at something than good at everything. You know what I mean? <laughs> so if the, if if someone if a manager needs to make a choice then he'll probably go for the best one in that position and not the one that can do the job as well. But to go back to that, yeah, I had a lot of pace. I was very uh, pacey and um, I knew it was a weapon that is hard to defend. Um, so I, I had, especially at PSV, I had a very good understanding with the midfielder and uh, so my left midfielder and my left back, which was actually uh, Philip Cocu and Archer Newman. And we had a try. At times, I call it a golden triangle, where you you understand each other without talking. Uh, we knew exactly what we wanted to do. We knew exactly what was going to happen, and that way uh, we were really tough to, um, to 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 stop. Uh, which means that I knew, for example, if Newman would play Cuckoo in, that he would play me first touch in the back of the defender, um, or if Newman would uh, take the ball from the centre back have one touch, have a look at me, I would always make the counter movement where I would step into the ball because a lot of defenders were really eager to, to put pressure on you. So I would make one step to the ball and then go deep because I knew he was going to just chip it in behind. And I was 
was a liftoff, I was gone and they would never see me again. So that was definitely one of my uh, strengths. So if you say, would you like to be close to your defender? Uh, yes, I loved it when they were really eager to 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 stamp, step on my toes because then I knew it was slightly easier to um, to lure into um, my um, my counter movements, if you want to call it. And um, other than that, if if you know if you're a winger and you get the ball and you see the opportunity of a one on one then you would never let it go. Because now sometimes I, I still train with the, the, the forwards here and sometimes you see that a player gets a ball and he's stalling a bit and he's waiting and then all of a sudden I see the, the centre-back, you know, covering and then I all of a sudden I also see a, a midfielder covering and thinking, why would you wait? Why? You have a chance to go one-on-one, so just do it. You know, this is your opportunity. If you're a winger and you don't want to go one-on-one, then you might as well just yeah, play somewhere else. The good thing, of course, is that you can, you can make um, as many mistakes as you, <laughs> as you want because um, the, the, the moment that you're successful, that's, in the end, what people will remember. Now, later on, when I also played as a defender, that was always the other way around. No mistakes. I, I sat yesterday listening um, to, to a briefing. It, it wasn't a press conference, and so I used the words carefully, but Xavi Hernandez is the Barcelona manager, and, and Xavi took a group of nine or ten of us in, just off the record, to, to brief us about what he was trying to do. And in one of the sections, he said that he, he in teaching the players individually, he, he often marks them in one-on-one sessions. And he'll get Pedri, for example, in the midfield, and it'll be 90% is okay, and 10% is, is KO. But with Usman Dembele, who resembles a little bit what you were talking about there as the wide man and when to go and look at what he did in the classical when he took on Nacho and beat him and sent it for Aubameyang, he said, with Usman, <laughs> it's not 90% KO, it's 90% chaos and 10% okay. But that 10% wins you the game, he said. Which corresponds with what you're saying about, like, wingers go into situations where they'll be robbed, where it won't work, and you must go, and you must go again, and you must never lose the belief that you're doing the right thing and that you will beat your fullback. And then if the cross makes a goal, it's worth all the other problems and all the other times that the crowd goes, ah, oh, because once they'll go, yes, no. I obviously see where you're coming from, and, and it also reminds me of a moment where, uh, actually there at Barca, um, Rivaldo was playing as a winger, and he scored so many goals and so many assists. And when he won the golden ball, he said, uh, yeah, I don't want to play in the wing no more. I want to play as number 10. And that was when a little bit of trouble started. With Van Gaal. Yeah. Because Van Gaal said, now you look at it as a manager. And of course, <laughs> as a fan, you'd say, OK, why would you put the best player in the world on the bench? You know, because then he said, OK, if you don't want to play, then come and sit next to me. Um, he said, if I put him as a 10... He will score as many goals as, as a winger, but he will also lose as many balls as a winger. And my team was in big trouble if, if, if I start losing the ball in, down the middle. So he said, for, for, for that reason, I think, that he thought, OK, um, I do um, accept the collateral damage, but only on the side, not in the middle. And that also gives you a certain freedom on the side. So um, it's not like you can do everything wrong and... and uh, because nowadays, I think also football has been, has, has, has got much more 
complex, much more. You definitely, you definitely need everybody to be on uh, the same page, same level, um, in, in order to make certain things work. I, I guess few people have ever compared Louis van Gaal and George Graham at Arsenal, but I'm about to because George Graham's doctrine at Arsenal, when he was such a successful coach of a defensive team, he always told his fullbacks, show your wide man inside. And there were two reasons. Show them inside, and it's more crowded there. There's more chance of a colleague helping you. But also, you show them inside and you rob them there. It's the same as your Van Hal argument about if we have the ball back there, this is a really good place where you have choices about how to punish the other side when they're a little bit uh, ragged in their setup because they've lost the ball. Yeah, but now we get into a different uh, discussion because back in the days, a left-footed player would play as a left wing and a right-footed on the right. Nowadays, the other way around. Because they really want to go inside, and you see them either having a shot, with, you know, in, in to, into the far post. Now a lot, what you also see is, well, you've been there long enough. How many times did Messi cross the ball to the fullback Alba when he came in? Uh, you know, that like the 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 in swinging cross. You see that so often now as well. It's a big weapon. It's a big danger. Um, and and of course, we just t- tapped on. Uh, the goal that Abamayang scored on the cross from uh, Dembele, which was, it was a little bit like, um, yeah, a little bit old school. Of course it was old school. You go outside your man, you cross from the wide, and it, it's like, it's like from 20 years ago. Simple ABC. And nowadays it's it's all, you know, coming back in, pulling it back and putting it over, crossing well, it bl- in. Blame, blame Arjen Robin for that, because that was our Aryan's fantastic trick it was he was maybe the best has been at that yeah he did he did and he he also developed something that made it even more difficult to defend um because as i look at in detail um i don't know if you if, if, not sure if you understand what i mean that you can get at someone straight and try to yep. pass him in a straight line so if the defender is in front of you you're most likely to open up the angle so you have to go further wide in, in, in order to stay away from the defender um, what Robin did many times is even worse where he created an angle where he actually went backwards so the defender would would never be able to get him and then he would shoot let's say uh, he, he would nearly shoot with his back against the goal and that was even more difficult to defend instead of going forwards he, he cut slightly backwards and then had a shot in the far corner. But it's so difficult to defend, but technically still also more difficult for him to do it, which which makes him so special. It's clever because he's buying himself a little bit more room, making it harder for his opponent or even opponent coming towards him also. But it's a message about how talented Robin was, I guess. Thank you for listening to The Big Interview. It's produced by me, which sounds egotistical, but it's also true, Graham Hunter, and Backpage. Our music is by Beer Jacket, who else? Editing by Charlie McGarry. Thank you to our hosts at Acast and our loyal sponsors at Bet365. We're also supported by our socios. Find out how to become a socio, how to support us, at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Here endeth the lesson.